This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Earlier this week, we spoke to Brock Long. You might remember the name from hurricane recovery efforts in 2017 and 18, when he was head of FEMA. He also spearheaded efforts during horrific California wildfires. We talked to him this week after President Trump announced FEMA had been activated in all regions and placed on its highest alert level. The agency's also now been put in charge of the federal response to the coronavirus. We asked Brock Long what that means. Not what does FEMA do during a wildfire or hurricane, but during a virus outbreak. And he explained just how underprepared we Americans were and are for a major disaster. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's former FEMA director Brock Long on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Are you well, Brock? Doing fine. Doing fine. Yeah, it's just been incredibly busy. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, busy. Given, given what you do now for a living. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get started. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but um, just give me your, the, your name and your title that you want us to use on the record. Brock Long, Executive Chairman of Haggerty Consulting and former FEMA Administrator. President Trump has said all FEMA regions have been activated, that we are at level one. And I'm wondering, what does that mean? Is that like DEFCON level one? You know, how do we, what do we make of that? (laughs) So basically, FEMA is the only agency in the country that has the ability to manage incident command for an event of this magnitude. And what, what happened as a result of the FEMA going to a level one is referring to their National Response Coordination Center. This is nothing unique. Uh, we went to level one activity all the time in 2017 and 18 when the, when the agency was helping to lead the nation through the crisis of Harvey, Irma, Maria, you know, the California wildfires, Florence, uh, you know, all the other the, the, the hurricanes they hit. <clears throat> and so what you're seeing is, is that there needs to be a clear, consistent chain of command to help um, process resource requests from governors across all 50 states and tribal territories and island territories as well. Okay, interesting. I was going to say, what exactly is FEMA doing when they when they do that? And it it so they're in they're sort of like logistics. They're traffic controllers, really, in all of this. They're they're helping people get what they need depending on what's needed in each different state and region. Absolutely. So HHS, while HHS and CDC are still in charge, they're the technical experts of this of this event. They understand the virus. They understand the epidemi- epidemiology, all of those aspects. But what FEMA does is helps the nation understand total asset visibility, for example, you know, how much supplies we have. Um, they also have the ability to track re- resource requests coming up from the local governments to the state governments, ultimately to the federal level. And the way this works is that disaster even this one, you know, for the virus support is federally supported, state managed and locally executed. And so when a local government's capability has been exceeded, they call upon the state. When a state governor's capability has been exceeded, they call upon FEMA. And in this case, you know, they're trying to track resource requests. They don't have an unlimited amount of resources, and they have to prioritize these resource requests. But eventually, they activate contracts. They give these resource requests to the, to the appropriate agency that can fulfill it, and then they push it down through the pipe, through a governor, ultimately to the ground level uh, in, in local communities. So let's talk about supplies for a minute because um, 
I mean, that, that seems to be a huge part of this story. Uh, obviously, when, when you were at female, for example, were you aware of how many N95 masks, you know, could be made and where they could be made or how many ventilators we as a country had, even in that national stockpile? I imagine FEMA was very well versed on what, what exactly we had in that national stockpile. Did, did you ever think to push for, for more uh, such gear or supply or equipment? Absolutely. And here's, here's what FEMA did about it. And this is what we did under my leadership is we created what are called community lifeline concepts. It is now doctrine within FEMA. And the nation's got to realize this, that the infrastructure that we depend on on a daily basis is largely owned by the private sector. The, you know, the federal government really has no control over the, you know, a lot of the infrastructure. And so we went to the community lifelines concept to say, hey, what are the indispensable services that have to be maintained in any community, that if they're not maintained, people die or life routine is disrupted. And we rethought our plans on how we needed to get the private sector industry to the forefront of helping us overcome disasters and prepare for disasters, understanding the supply chains, the vulnerabilities, and rewriting and rethinking concepts to make sure that we're attacking disasters correctly, like this one. The, you know, the biggest thing that we're learning, and with HHS and CDC being in charge, is that the, the public health supply chain system is incredibly weak. So let's frame this problem at the local level. A lot of hospitals operate on what are known as just-in-time logistics. They do not keep large stocks of capability, personal protective equipment around, respirators, whatever it may be. They don't maintain this on a daily basis. They use what they have, and they might have up to about a two-week stock of supplies. Um, the other failure is that, that, that their contracts are not redundant. They, they typically rely on one vendor, not multiple vendors. You know, they need to bolster these contracts in the future. And then the real problem is we need an American independence campaign as a result of going through this to make sure that we're not dependent upon China and other countries for personal protective equipment, antivirals, vaccines, whatever it may be. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, the, the president did mention this week the Defense Production Act, right? That's been in, invoked. If the president directs <clears throat> private industry to start making and distributing more medical supplies, what role does FEMA have in that? Is that what you were talking about, that direct uh, logistical support of getting those supplies to the places they need to go? Like, is, does FEMA have a direct role in a Defense Production Act invocation? Uh, yeah, indirect role. So here's what's happening. Here's what's being done by the federal government to overcome these gaps in supplies right now. So the first thing that happens is is that HHS and ASPR, uh, the Assistant Secretary's Preparedness and Response Capability within HHS, is providing guidance to local hospitals and medical providers of saying, hey, listen, implement these techniques to make sure that the supplies you have will last even longer. That's, that's the baseline piece. Next, what happens is, is that they activate the strategic national stockpile. And so up until about March 11, it's my understanding that the strategic national stockpile has moved over 130 tons worth of personal protective equipment out into communities out of a strategic you know, stockpile that we have to help overcome or anticipate gaps that may exist at the local level. The next thing that happens is that DOD has shifted some of their stockpile supplies to the civilian effort to fight the virus. The Defense Production Act is a rare act uh, that, that it's rarely invoked. It's been around since the 50s, but basically what it essentially does is says, hey, we've got a problem. You know, our, our, our homeland security is being jeopardized. Our public health is being jeopardized. 
it forces suppliers to enter in direct contracts with the federal government to ramp up production, but also to secure supplies that are already there to put it down to the effort to fight the disease in the local in the local communities. And so, you know, FEMA's job is to understand, you know, working with HHS, the shortfalls that are there, collecting the proper, you know, you know, the, collecting the requests coming up from governors, analyzing those requests to see if they're legitimate or how to prioritize them, and then utilizing the Defense Production Act and the mechanisms that are available under that to push them down through ultimately to the incident command level. Brock, when when you were part of when you were head of FEMA, how much did it bother you that um, that China was in charge of manufacturing so much of our our medical supply, gear, and equipment? I mean, did that strike you as problematic? Absolutely, and uh, like I said earlier, it's uh, we need a Buy American campaign again, and to create you know American independence uh, for our public health mechanisms. I mean, we grow a lot of cotton in this country, for example, but we produce a very small volume of gauze pads or surgical aprons, and we have got to reduce our vulnerability and and control our own destiny uh, away from these other country, you know countries and i think that that's the biggest lesson learned that that that's got to overcome the other biggest lesson learned is the lack of business continuity plans in this country within our private sector and particularly the small business a lot of businesses are being impacted financially obviously and this is going to be a tough financial time for the weeks and months to come but we've got to instill business continuity plans in all businesses to you know and business interruption insurance, you know, for these companies in the future to help bolster their capability to be able to go through these disasters as well. You were once head of FEMA. When you saw people buying toilet paper and bottled water and long lines at grocery stores, what did you think other than, gosh, I'm glad I'm not in charge of FEMA right now? (laughs) You know, um, we do not have a true culture of preparedness in this country, and I say it over and over again. And when I was in office, the goal, the first goal, there were three goals that we implemented at FEMA. The very first one was create a true culture of preparedness in this country. It doesn't exist. And panic ensues because people are not prepared. And, you know, the the thing about it is, is that we've got to go back and help citizens understand that they are the true first responder for anything that they face, whether it's an active shooter event, whether it's a cyber crime, whether it's a hurricane or whether it is the virus. You know, the actions that citizens take and neighbor helping neighbor, you know, is is going to control our destiny down the road and reduce impacts of multiple hazards that we face. So we have to give people tangible skills again. We've got to go back and teach people how CPR is done properly. We've got to teach people how to mitigate their homes, protect their businesses with insurance or protect, you know, mitigate their businesses, you know, bolster their supply chains and their vendors. How do they meet their mission essential critical functions when they can't access their building, when they've lost a certain percentage of their staff, when they have lost access to resources? We've got to go back in and implement that. And the other thing is that's really killing us as a country is what is known as asset poverty. Too many Americans are highly leveraged. They do not have three to six months' worth of savings that they can put their hands on. And we've got to go back and teach our kids and change our education system to focus on financial resiliency, teaching people how money works, how to budget properly, how to save, how to retire. But right now in this country, we teach kids that the SAT score is the most important score in their life when it's actually going to be their credit score. And we need to revamp, rethink everything that we do when it comes to giving people baseline education in this country because the asset poverty piece, which means I can't put my hands on 500 bucks or three months worth of savings, is driving up the impact of disasters and FEMA cannot keep up with that. 
and and uh, it's going to be a greater solution than FEMA can provide. Wow, interesting. It sounds like the CDC and the FDA and maybe some others messed up in the um, in the early stages here, right? With testing, it put us a few weeks behind at least. Uh, as an emergency manager and consultant and executive, how important in your mind? Would it have been to have that information, even if it meant a lot of us, you know, tested positive, to have that information earlier on? Well, a couple, a couple things. You know, forget the test for a minute. You know, every American right now needs to, you know, needs to act as if the virus is in their community and heed the warnings. If every American does that and we do what the president is asking us to do for the next 15 days, then the impacts will be reduced. Forget the test. You know, um, the, the next thing is, is that, we, you know, we've got to realize that this is a virus we've never dealt with. It's not like we can create these tests out of thin air. There's a lot of science and, and you know, medical practice that has to go into creating the right test. And then you've got to mass produce it. And then you have to implement plans to disseminate the test. And so, you know, the federal government, is, you know, I truly believe they are trying to work as fast as they can to not only create the test, mass produce the test and put it out there, but people have got to back up and realize this is, you know, we've never seen this virus before. So the test didn't exist. Yeah, the next other thing countries, that's other countries had it, though. Other countries seem to, to have it and test a lot of people more, much more quickly. I mean, look at South Korea. They, they had, you know, so many more tests going, didn't they? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can't verify what, what was being done in, you know, the other countries. But when it comes to our country, I know that, you know, that this is not something that we had readily available as tests. Now, will the system need to be rethought when it comes to how do we quickly create create a mass-produced test? What was getting in the way of us being able to do that from laws? You know, mm-hmm. you know are there things that we could have done for, for waivers from the FDA to, to speed up the process? You know, that's all well and good. I, but I, I go back to the cultural preparedness. The greatest thing that needs to be done right now is citizens need to be taking the separation tactics that have been put into place by the president seriously. When I walk around my own community, I see people still gathering together. Um, you know, mm-hmm. many people are continuing on like life is normal or they're on vacation, and that's not what we're being asked to do. Finally, Brock, um, last question. I've seen varying degrees of reaction. Uh, you know, on my social media feed and in my personal life with my friends and family. There are some who say this is ridiculous. We've gone way over the top. The economy is really suffering. We, you know, it, it, the flu is way worse. And I've seen on the other end, you know, people say, we don't know what this virus can do. Look at Italy. We need to be safe. We need to hunker down. Is the answer somewhere in the middle or is it just, it, has it been overplayed? Well, yeah, sure. Has so, it been hyped? So- What's the right balance? Well, you know, the question that I get as being a former FEMA administrator is, what kept you up at night? And a lot of people would ask me that. What what really worried me the most? And my answer was always a pandemic event. Um, we don't have great experience with it. There's a lot of unknowns. And it really is going to depend on how quickly and how well community mitigation tactics or separation tactics are implemented. And, you know, if the president had gone... You know, the minute that we had learned about Wuhan and China and locked down the whole country, he would have been ridiculed from the moment of overreacting. You know, and so, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that now I think they're trying to strike the right balance of we've got to reduce the spread, flatten the curve. They're also taking tremendous action to protect the economy. Um, but I, I got to tell you, public health events scare me more than anything as a former FEMA administrator. And I appreciate the activities that are being put forward by the federal government at this point.
and state and local partners as well, because a lot of people need to listen to the local public health officials for the, 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 the most acute or exact information for their community. For their community, exactly. A former yeah. head of FEMA, Brock Long, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Did I give you what you were looking for? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think a voice like yours right now is so important. I think people are really confused, and you can speak a little bit more freely than if you were currently head of FEMA. So sure. I, I think it was really, really helpful to hear. I, I think what you said about preparedness in general. I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I don't think any of us are prepared for an earthquake at all. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it'll be... Uh... You know, it'll be crazy. And and the thing is, is that, you know, FEMA gets a lot of bad rap, but their job is getting harder and harder and harder every day because of the lack of personal responsibility. And I mean, it's just, we've got to have a campaign on personal responsibility. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that that, I'm going to highlight that because I I agree with you. I think that's so important. You know, and, and, and some of the other things that need to be thrown out too that we didn't mention. One of the dumbest things that we do is reward kids for perfect attendance at school. (laughs) think about it yeah think about it because kids get sick and they come to school sick they're not being a good neighbor when they do that Mm -hmm. just to get a certificate that says they had perfect attendance i mean it's some of these old norms we got to rethink you know i would rather kids stay home (laughs) yeah yeah well The more people like you talk like this and about this and we air this, you know, the more we inject that into the conversation, you know, that's how people start to shift their thinking, you know. You got it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to call again. Thank you, sir. We will. Thank you. You have been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to Fox News Radio's hourly newscast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, visit foxnews.com. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.